0: Hello,
1: and welcome to Addressing Alaskans, a program capturing community conversations in south-central Alaska. Join us on Alaska Public Media as we travel to different spots throughout our community and listen to local groups gathered to discuss what matters to Alaskans.
2: This week's show is the first talk and discussion of a three-part series called The Housing Continuum, Building a Vibrant Community, presented by Alaska Common Ground. Part one of this series focuses on the current supply and demand of housing in Anchorage. The event was recorded on March 4th at the Anchorage Museum and was moderated by Thea Agnew-Bemben. We'll begin with Janelle Flager of REMAX Dynamic Properties.
3: As the, the bio says, you know, I have been in, in the Anchorage real estate industry uh, for 40 years. I have lived in Anchorage for over 45 years and raised three kids here. It is also my home. So in that time, I have seen a lot of changes obviously and watched Anchorage grow. When I was asked to speak or be part of this panel, I just thought it was very timely. I'm the past president of a national organization called CRS, Certified Residential Specialists, And this is a topic across the country. Um, It's not just us, but what of course matters is how we handle this locally. And so, you know, my information is uh, very much specific to the Anchorage real estate market. Um, you know, one comment I will also make, I will, we had to make some assumptions as we pulled the stats together. What is affordable? Um, the, a, the average uh, house in Anchorage is 370000 So in preparing for this, we took uh, a line at 300000 and I think you'll, and we took, we took it back a decade, and it certainly paints quite a picture. So the first slide um, reviews or shows us the number of new listings in the marketplace year after year uh, for the last decade. And so you see a steady decline in that price point. We had well over 3,600 in 2009, and when we ended in 2018, it's about twenty six hundred. Now let's take a look at what happens if we build new construction in this price point. We have an eighty seven point five five percent decline over the last decade of new construction in this uh, three hundred thousand or less price point. We used Anchorage, and um, Girdwood, Eagle River. Uh, We do use both residential and condominium because a house is a house, whether, you know, no matter what it looks like. Uh, We did not include uh, the Matsu, but uh, they are a a slightly different uh, community, of of course, and we're concentrating on Anchorage. So we had uh, 249 starts in 2009 and 31 in 2018. Not shown here, but we took a look at, you know, what uh, what kind of new construction also happened in multifamily, and it was dismal, uh, very small numbers there. Now, just the opposite. We took a look at, over the last decade, what's the average price of a house in Anchorage? It has continued to climb. In 2009, we were at about 321000 You do see a little bit of a dip in the... 2011 and that, uh, the change in our marketplace, and then in 2018, just over 370,000. And once I go through this, we'll take an overview or we'll do a, a full look at uh, what the Anchorage real estate market t- looks like. Same thing in condos. That last uh, slide was specifically for single family. Condos look like that's a more affordable price point. Uh, but this stock really hasn't been replenished at all, really, since the 1980s. What you're seeing in construction in a condo uh, or things that are on the in the planning stages is a much, much higher po- price point. So um, you know that inventory really has not been replaced for our, for a long time. Our condo stock is getting old. So now let's take a look at the overall marketplace. A lot of numbers here, uh, but pretty easy to sort of zero in and you can take a look at what's happening in Anchorage. So we we are dividing it up by price point. Again, this is Anchorage residential. And right now in Anchorage, there are 569 houses for sale. In the, in the 1980s, we had 8, 900 easily on the market. So a decline in overall inventory. And then I keep a running average so we know what we're selling each month to take a look at market absorption. All of those price points, all the way up to the 750 to 999,000, really only have one, two, three months' worth of inventory. That is a very tight market. It's also also um, a flat market, and from all projections and from all information that we have uh, at this point we will continue to see the same kind of um, picture. Um, on the, the little pull out to the side for the different graphs, you know, uh, shows you the different price points in the marketplace. And you know, specifically looking at that average price point at that 370. Um, again, uh, describing it as a flat market um, with slightly uh, longer uh, marketing times, but still still around 100 days. Same uh, viewpoint here for the condos. If you could take a look at all those price points. Um, all the way up into the over uh, half a million, you do see uh, a longer inventory at the 400 to 499, but otherwise, it's also still continues to be a very tight market. So, um, I also spent some time in talking to lenders as I prepared for this presentation, and um, they, you know, are. Really struggled with also that same, um, you know, vernacular. You know, what really is affordable, and how do we help s- specifically the first-time home buyer? Um, many of the programs that were available have not been refunded, so that gives us fewer choices for that first home buyer entering the marketplace. And then, secondly. Um, they're pushing further and further these ratios of what kind of percentage they're using for their home purchase. And then in talking to the property managers, um, and I think this was talked about uh, earlier just a little bit, um, actually pretty high uh, vacancy rates over the last uh, couple years with some flattening of that projected to happen uh, in 2019. We are in this together. And, um, you know, we hear often that it pencils to build that luxury home, but it doesn't pencil to build an affordable house in Anchorage. I deal with people coming and going from our state all the time. And so it matters that we take a look at this and work together. They are looking at um, how our city lives, how we live, work, play, and you know, what happens as uh, their employees move here and engage in our community. So thank you.
0: And our next speaker is Jasmine Khan with the Anchorage Coalition to End Homelessness.
4: Good evening. While I consider myself an economics groupie, I'm going to actually take a slightly different tone. um, And I beg your indulgence, I'm gonna fly through some of these slides really quickly because um, I have some important advocacy work that I'd like to talk to you all about. Um, I'm here on behalf of the Anchorage Coalition to End Homelessness. That means I represent the providers in this community who fight the good fight to protect our vulnerable neighbors every day. Um, And more importantly to me in so many ways, I'm here to represent the voice of those who don't always have an opportunity to stand behind a microphone and advocate for themselves. I want to talk very briefly about some of the facts that were shared earlier, some of the data that was shared earlier, and try to connect the dots as we talk about homeless services or those at risk of homeless services. Uh, I'm frequently asked in our community, what will it take to end homelessness? And as someone who does truly enjoy behavioral economics in my spare time, um, I love to point out that uh, ending homelessness is not something that is quick, easy, uh, cheap, simple. Ending homelessness, truly ending homelessness, involves some incredibly complicated socioeconomic factors. You're talking about a living wage. You're talking about racial equity. You're talking about the experience that our first Alaskans have had as we... um, join them in this state. You were talking about some incredibly deep-seated, challenging social issues. That can be overwhelming, and that can feel like we're not making progress. So I defer to the experts, and I share with you the definition that the National Alliance to End Homelessness brings to the table. When asked, as a national organization that is both advocacy and technical expertise for many of us that do this work, uh, what causes homelessness, they try to make it easier to digest, and simply point out that it is a lack of affordable housing, and it's a lack of access to the housing available in a community that most obviously causes homelessness. And if you want to talk about the more esoteric sort of socioeconomic factors, I love that stuff, but not for today. Carol invited one of her colleagues from the National Low Income Housing Coalition to come to Anchorage in January and speak to us a little bit about the data he has available. Um, You've heard this in a couple different ways, and these slides are available to you through the Alaska Common Ground website, so you're, you know, welcome to poke around and send me questions. But I'd like to call your attention to a couple of figures. One is that we know that 20% of the renter population in Anchorage Falls into that category of extremely low income, meaning 20% of the renters in Anchorage are spending more than 30% of their income on rent. We know that that translates to a family of four making less than $30,000 a year. We know that we are at last pass, and I think this data was run in December of 2018, almost 7,000 units short to meet the demand for our extremely low individual community members, uh, ELI community members, excuse me. What I think is really important from my conversation with you all here today is this red box where we talk about who are these folks. So based on national data, almost 40% of our ELI neighbors are in the labor force. They are working. An additional 30% of these individuals are formally disabled And an additional 20% of these individuals are our senior citizens and elders. So you can do the simple math, 90% of people who fall into this category of extremely low income are working or formally unable to work based on definitions that we share as a community.
2: You're listening to Addressing Alaskans on Alaska Public Media. Today's show is part one of The Housing Continuum. Building a Vibrant Community, presented by Alaska Common Ground. We'll continue with Jasmine Khan from the Anchorage Coalition to End Homelessness.
4: So I pulled some data up, and again, my work is around homelessness, but I spoke with our partners at Access Alaska, the Disability Law Center, at AHFC, um, certainly at Cook Inlet, and also at the Anchorage Reentry Coalition. And I asked some questions about who is most at risk of falling out of the housed ELI community and falling into homelessness. And based on the data you've heard from multiple presenters, it is our elder community, it is our community of people living with formal disabilities, Um, and it is our people who live paycheck to paycheck. I am sure that many of you have heard stories about the earthquake, about a family member who fell on hard health times, about a colleague who was going through a divorce and lost housing, and stumbled into what I call situational homelessness, a one-time event where they needed some assistance to get back on their feet. Again, this is 40% of our extremely low-income individuals are making some sort of um, effort to have a job, they have a job, they're bringing in wages. That 20% of folks that we talked about who are officially senior citizens, uh, based on data from AHFC actually, uh, since 2008, Alaska is the most rapidly growing state in terms of per capita senior citizens. We know that about 20% of the population in Anchorage is above the age of 60, and that based on the data that was shared with me, 50% of our over 60 population lives in Anchorage and the Matsu Valley. Our population is rapidly aging, and we don't expect that to stop through at least 2035. You already heard that we don't have enough housing for our elder community. What is particularly heartbreaking in addition to this is when I speak with Access Alaska Disability Law Center and they tell me that we have a two-year wait list for apartments that are ADA compliant and that's best data projections, best case, we have a two-year wait list. So if you are a person with different abilities, particularly one with a fixed income who can't afford other units, you are experiencing extreme hardship and an inability to navigate in your own apartment with a wheelchair to reach the appliances in your kitchen or to be able to even function if you're not on the first floor. Um, And I think a a group that we haven't talked about but I do wanna call it out is uh, people coming out of correctional facilities. People coming out of correctional facilities according to federal data are 10 times more likely to experience homelessness. I think there's some obvious reasons why landlords may be hesitant to rent to people with a criminal record. But our local Anchorage Reentry Coalition recently did a survey of people coming out of corrections and first pass, um, Jonathan is still working through the data, 65.8% of the survey respondents indicated that when they're released, they don't know where they're going to live. So my work is to represent homelessness in Anchorage, and and I see many familiar faces in the crowd, so some of you have heard me say this. Um, When we talk about data, there's two important data points around homelessness that we always like to pay attention to. One is the point in time count, and that's simply one night in January when all of the communities in the country actually uh, work with volunteers to count the number of people experiencing homelessness on that night. Anchorage has pretty consistently maintained about 1,100. So we use that number as a proxy to say at any given moment, we can assume there's about 1,100 people experiencing homelessness in Anchorage. Um, we also like to look at total aggregate Excuse me, numbers. So, what I can tell you is our data has some weak spots. Not everybody that receives services connects to this data. But at best, I can tell you about 7,500 people touch our formal services and receive some sort of formal services in Anchorage in any given year. I'm frequently asked who these folks are. Uh, This dashboard is available on the ACEH's website, my website, uh, and there's links to that in this presentation. And it talks about basic demographics. We update it every quarter. But what I want to point out is that the data that we use to talk about extremely low-income individuals holds true for those experiencing homelessness. That about 50% of the people who come through our services in our community have some sort of disability. And about 50% of those folks come to us seeking assistance in employment and or meeting basic health and safety needs. Um, we're not going to have a ton of time to talk about this because I, I flipped the script, but um, we also should mention to talk uh, the, the the point of racial inequity in homeless services, not in terms of just the services, but in terms of who seeks out the services. According to the last U.S. census, 40% of the folks living under the poverty line in Alaska, in Anchorage, were white. 12% self-identified as native or were identified as first Alaskan. But when you look at those same figures in terms of homelessness, you will see that the numbers flip. And that we are absolutely 100% experiencing homelessness differently based on our ethnic or racial background. And I think it's an important question that we need to ask ourselves as to why. And again, if you're interested, we'll be doing that on Friday. Um, Many of you have heard about Anchored Home, which is the plan to solve homelessness. Uh, This is something that my organization is doing in partnership with the municipality, United Way, Rasmussen Foundation, and the Homelessness Leadership Council here in Anchorage. Originally, I had planned to talk to you all about the plan, uh, but there's a ton of information available on my website, including the plan itself. Um, And current events have forced my hand, and we're gonna gonna change a little bit about what we're talking about. At the end of the day, my job is to advocate again for those who do not have the opportunity to have these conversations with the public. Um, So I do want to take a moment to talk about the proposed state budget um, and how that's going to impact services for the vulnerable people that I am here to represent. Um, If you have not heard this, uh, the current proposed budget looks at the approximately $12 million that come in from the state to statewide homeless services. This is not specific to anchorage the proposed budget cuts 11 of those 12 million dollars out of the budget for homeless services and i often have folks in the public say to me well what about efficacy is that money being used wisely so i want to pick on the top line item which is the homeless assistance program it's it's often called BHAP. we get about eight million dollars statewide for behap Last year, BHAP served 11,000 individuals who were at risk of or experiencing homelessness. And in the last two years, almost 90% of those individuals permanently left homelessness or were prevented from entering into homelessness. So if we want to take a moment to talk about efficacy, I've spent most of my life in social services. 90% is phenomenal, 90% statewide. So just to kind of unpack this for a moment, we are talking about immediate and direct budget cuts impacting 50 programs around the state of Alaska, and there's some secondary impacts that are important to call out. One is that we get $5 million in federal funding for the state of Alaska, but it requires a local match. And the new proposed budget would potentially reduce our match, meaning that we would also lose this $5 billion that supports an additional 27 programs around the state, meaning we could lose 75 programs that support homeless services. And those are direct impacts. If we take a moment to look at the budget as it relates to public assistance, senior benefits, education, the University of Alaska's support systems to provide for economic growth, free legal services. Um, We are creating a potential spiral that will not only create more homelessness, but it will create more homelessness in a space where we are going to cut 11 twelfths of the budget we have available to treat those who are already experiencing homelessness. Um, So forgive my passion. Uh, This is something I think is incredibly important to use every opportunity to at least talk about the numbers
0: Thank you very much, Jasmine. Uh, Our final speaker will be Moira Gallagher with Anchorage Economic Development Corporation.
1: Uh, Good evening. My name is Moira Gallagher. I'm the director of the Live, Work, Play initiative at the Anchorage Economic Development Corporation. This is a broad initiative that addresses quality of life issues in Anchorage. We have seven areas of focus, uh, and as has been mentioned earlier tonight, uh, one of those major areas of focus is housing. Back in 2014, that group spearheaded a community survey about housing to get a a pulse on whether or not people are satisfied with their housing in Anchorage, what types of housing they like or don't like, uh, and what they would like to see more or less of in Anchorage. Try and get a sense of the entire housing market. That 2014 survey was incredibly informative for our group um, and informed most of the advocacy that that work has been doing uh, since 2014, including uh, successfully getting passage of of new regulations allowing unit lot subdivisions, ADUs, uh, other types of innovative housing. And we decided in 2018 that, uh, given there had been many economic shifts in the prior four years uh, and a lot of demographic shifts, we wanted to take that survey again and see how the community was feeling about housing housing, where people are living, where people want to live, what they'd like to see. Um, And these are the results. And I'm mostly just going to share facts and figures with you tonight, a little bit of analysis as well. But I'll start with a caveat, that is uh, who took this survey. Uh, About 1,200 respondents overall, most of them came through social media or email outreach. 70% of our respondents were female. There's some interesting behavioral psychology about why women are more likely to take surveys than men. I won't unpack that just now. Uh, and uh, the, uh, there was a large discrepancy of a higher income respondents to this survey. So it is in no way a representative sample of the entire Anchorage population. Uh, it was significantly more wealthy, white, well-educated, and female than the uh, average Anchorage resident. So please take that into consideration as we look through this data. It nevertheless is an interesting uh, cross-section of what um, what Anchorage residents want, particularly uh, younger, well, more well-educated uh, professionals in Anchorage, which is who took the survey. So, first diving into the kind of housing that people said that they want, and we asked this question in a couple different ways. The first was what kind of housing do you want to see more of? Um, We asked this question this way because we wanted people to examine what they would like their city to look like. Not necessarily where they themselves want to live, uh, but what kind of community they want to be in. And we offered visual examples of a lot of different housing types. And the two that really came to the top were, uh, were interestingly two that we really don't have a lot of in Anchorage. The first is this cottage style housing. Uh, on the left, the idea is that you have multiple small single family units on one lot with some shared facilities like in this picture, a garden. People really enjoyed, first of all, the aesthetic of the cottage style housing and the idea of a kind of communal experience with smaller scale housing. And that was what 64% of Anchorage residents um, said they wanted to see more of. Um, they were asked to choose their top three. And then the, the second most popular at 41% was uh, high density mixed use, something that we have very little of in Anchorage right now. I don't know how many people selected this just because they wish we had a Trader Joe's. <laughs> Certainly I do. But uh, the appeal here, of course, is that you have amenities clustered with your housing. And uh, you look around at any other community uh, of our size, even smaller size, and you would see this kind of housing in the downtown core or in other large employment hubs. Uh, Usually this is rental housing, it's workforce housing. It allows people to, uh, sorry to use a cliched phrase, but live, work, and play all in the same place. But then when we asked people, what kind of housing do you actually want to live in? The vast majority, again, selecting their top three, 83%, said they wanted to live in a single-level, single-family home. And I call that out because another option we had was a multi-level, single-family home, and that was significantly less popular. When we broke this down into demographic groups, we saw that for those over age 55, nearly 100% of them felt it was important to live in a one-level home, no stairs. That broke down a little bit in terms of whether they wanted it to be a, a detached single family residence like this, your kind of traditional American ranch style house. This house is currently for sale, by the way. I got that off of Zillow, um, in case anyone here is looking. but. Uh, That that split down almost 50-50 with seniors in whether they wanted it to be a detached uh, single-level house or they wanted to be in a condominium that had elevator access. But what was clearly critical for the over-55 population was no stairs. Uh, My parents are in their 70s. I can tell you that that's a priority for them, whether or not it's a a detached house or in a condo. Uh, They're done with stairs pretty much forever.
2: This is Addressing Alaskans on KSKA Anchorage, 91.1 FM, Alaska Public Media. Today's show is part one of The Housing Continuum, Building a Vibrant Community, presented by Alaska Common Ground. We'll continue with Moira Gallagher of the Anchorage Economic Development Corporation.
1: kind of housing that we have. This is a deliberately unflattering picture. I apologize if the developer is in the room. This is a this is a subdivision in Anchorage. It's actually quite new, um, and we asked people questions about their sentiment towards the current housing we have, their satisfaction with housing, and we got some overwhelming responses that uh, people didn't want to see more large-scale subdivisions with large single-family homes, um, and a lot of the frustration with single-family homes that were being built was about the kind of amenities that they had access to. So um, whether there was good landscaping, whether it felt like you were in kind of a a wooded area if it was uh, suburban, whether you had access to parks and trails, uh, shopping, uh, other kinds of amenities. um, Generally, we found a disgruntled population when it came to the current housing stock. We weren't too surprised by that. Uh, A resounding majority of respondents, uh, 78% said they did not want to see more large single family homes built in Anchorage. Um, and, And you know, we didn't get into again all the psychology here, but um, you know, looking at who was taking this survey, it was uh, you know younger members of the population. It was those with bachelor's degrees and higher, um, and also seventy percent women um, who are saying our market is saturated. This is enough. Um, but we should also keep in mind that when asked what kind of housing people wanted to live in, they, they said that ranch-style house. So, <laughs> so people have different interests when it comes to what they want to see in Anchorage versus what they, um, what they actually want to live in. But, but overwhelmingly, people didn't want to see developers building more of, of this um, very ubiquitous type of, of single-family, multi-level home. So where did uh, Anchorage residents say they want to live? When we did the survey back in 2014, we uh, asked, uh, gave a list of about 30, maybe 25 different neighborhoods in Anchorage. And the number one was downtown. Uh, At that time, it was 47% of residents said that they wanted to live downtown. Uh, This time around, that number was 58%. So downtown and South Addition uh, being directly adjacent uh, was by far the the number one place where people wanted to live. Now, what I think is interesting about that, um, we can break down the downtown and South Addition numbers. It was 33% downtown and it was 25% South Edition if you wanted to know how that broke down. Um, What's interesting about the the one-third of the population that picked downtown as one of their top three neighborhoods was downtown isn't a neighborhood. They were answering that question aspirationally as if there might be a neighborhood there someday, and that's where I would like to live. Um, To me, that represents a lot of pent-up demand in the market. Again, we look at the kinds of housing people said they wanted to see more of in Anchorage, and that type of high-density mixed-use where you have retail on the ground floor or you have residential with retail right next to it, like the Rustic Goat uh, in Turnigan, that's something that people are really craving, and they're not seeing it in the market right now. Uh, but they but they would like to live downtown. And absent the opportunity to live downtown, they're sort of settling for South Edition, which is why you're seeing property values, um, particularly of the land uh, in South Edition, just skyrocketing beyond belief. The second most popular place was uh, Turnigan, Lake Hood area, and the third was Lower Hillside. Now these also broke out in different ways for different age groups. So it was 58% downtown or South Edition for the entire group of respondents. Uh, when we Broke that down into just uh, those under the age of 35, it was 67% that wanted to live in downtown areas. Uh, And when we looked at just people over the age of 55, it was 78%. So 78% of our senior or almost senior population would like to live downtown. I think that's a fascinating statistic, I think that one of the things that our our development community has been facing in recent years, the high cost of development downtown, um, is is something we have to consider as we see this pent up demand for what is the largest growing uh, population segment, largest growing age cohort, seniors, uh, who want the opportunity to live within walking distance of important amenities, uh, who would like to live downtown, who would like to be able to get to the performing arts center easily, who would like to be able to um, get to the transit center easily, uh, many of those amenities are are simply not available elsewhere in town. So oftentimes when people talk about downtown development, it's about the yuppies or the um, those young professionals just out of college renting their first apartment. And that's great. And that is important. And that is a population that we see wanting to live downtown. But seniors even more so wanted to be living right in the heart of Anchorage. The top amenities that Anchorage residents were looking for when they took this survey, this changed dramatically between 2014 and 2018. Um, Safe Neighborhood ranked number one. 80% of respondents picked that as one of their top three items. Uh, That didn't even make the top 10 back in 2014. Of course, that's not because people didn't want to live in safe neighborhoods. It's because it wasn't top of mind at that point in time and it wasn't, didn't feel like as critical of an issue. Uh, We think that the safe neighborhood choice is because people are feeling less safe in their neighborhoods currently or less safe in Anchorage and therefore it's become a priority. But the other top two were proximity to parks and trails and proximity to shopping. And those also are a little bit contradictory, right? You can't always have both in the same place. We look around at other cities that are developing uh, in interesting ways, attracting uh, talented professionals, retaining their senior population. And what they've managed to do is build housing and develop downtowns and urban cores that provide urban amenities, but are really close to accessible outdoor recreation. And Anchorage has that, because we have this wonderful greenbelt system. We have the coastal trail. We have this connection to outdoor recreation right from downtown. Uh, And downtown housing has the opportunity to be this kind of perfect mesh of uh, of proximate to the parks, the trails, uh, the outdoor space that people want to enjoy, as well as shopping, restaurants, arts, and culture that people also want to enjoy. Um, So how do we we make that nexus actually work? We asked people what they think we need to do. Um, This was not an open-ended question. This was multiple choice. But the the top four responses here show, I think, quite a bit of nuance and understanding of the market. Um, The first, just straight up, build more affordable units. Um, Carol, I guess, that's just uh, do more of what you do best. Um, (laughs) It's so easy. And, uh, and then, you know, moving down, redevelop deteriorated areas with new denser housing. People are looking around at infill. They're looking around at our older neighborhoods and seeing opportunities for older housing to be turned into new housing, denser housing. Number three was upgrade the infrastructure in those deteriorated areas in order to encourage development. And number four was provide property tax relief in order to encourage development in those deteriorated areas. So Anchorage residents see this problem. They see that we have neighborhoods that are just um, kind of languishing and not getting the opportunity to shine and not going through the natural cycle that neighborhoods do where they get older and less desirable and therefore cheaper and then young people move in they buy their first cheap house they renovate it and it kind of gentrifies Uh, we're not seeing that in Anchorage for a a number of reasons and infrastructure is a big one and it's identified here as an obstruction Um, and the other the you know the number four thing here providing property tax relief is something that's being considered right now the assembly will actually be voting tomorrow night on the 12-year your tax abatement for new residential development downtown, which we at AEDC see as critical to answering the call and, and the demand for housing downtown, housing that is, uh, has proximity to parks and trails, as well as shopping, restaurants, and urban amenities, um, housing that uh, is affordable. Uh, we can hopefully make that happen with tax abatement, um, and housing that provides for both the, the younger workforce that wants to live downtown and the uh, older population, seniors who are ready to retire, uh, but like my parents, don't want stairs and would like to live in a a larger building that potentially has an elevator and some other amenities. Lastly, I'm just going to say why do any of these statistics matter? Why should we care? I'm an economic development corporation. I'm not in the housing business. 47% of Anchorage employers, when we uh, gave the survey to them, said that the housing market is impacting their ability to attract and retain workforce. Now what does that mean? For 15% of them, it means they had a candidate directly turn down a job opportunity in Anchorage because of the housing market. Means they flew somebody up, they offered them a great job, a great salary at a great company, and the person said no specifically because of the housing market. And filling in that gap between that 15% and 47% are others who are seeing turnover rates that are exceptionally high because people don't like their housing options, uh, or they're seeing a lack of uh, retention of local talent uh, because people are leaving the state uh, looking for places where they have more of that urban experience, where they can afford housing that's in a, a downtown and offers those amenities. And 8% of Anchorage residents who are currently renting said that they were uh, either satisfied or very satisfied with their housing. That's pretty dismal. Uh, Renters tend to be younger, they tend to be lower income, um, and uh, if we're looking at trying to attract a younger population and trying to be a city that is vibrant for that younger population, uh, having only 8% of renters satisfied is, is really sad and something we really need to work on. There are a lot more statistics in this report. The question, the uh, the survey was 84 questions. So you can imagine that we have a lot of data and uh, I couldn't go into all of it tonight. But I invite you to download the full report, available at our website, aedcweb.com. And please feel free to contact me directly if you have questions after this. Thanks so much.
0: Great, thank you, Moira. Uh, so we have a lot of questions. We're going to dig into those in just a second. I just wanted to maybe do a quick like summary and calling out some of the key points I think we've um, shared. And I wanted to kind of emphasize something that Carol said a couple of times, but I don't know if, if you totally caught it when she talked about our housing market being a little bit like a game of musical chairs. And I think a lot of the data points that the different um, speakers uh shared with us really point to that. I mean, if we're seeing um, a gap, I think uh, Jasmine pointed out, we have about a deficit of about 7,000 units for people at the lowest of the income scale. Not all of those people are homeless. They're all living in units that are more expensive than they can afford. And then I think uh, Janelle's data supported that in a way we're all doing that. We're all kind of having to spend up in order to pay for housing in our market, many of which is not at a quality that perhaps we would, you know, feel good about spending extra money on from from what um, you've shared tonight. Um, I think part of that too, as Janelle also pointed out, is that we just aren't having new development. So, um, you know, my family moved here in 1973. And I know that the house I grew up in was probably one of those one split levels that maybe many of you grew up into um, that were built back then. And they're probably still being turned over now, not, not very much is being, being built. I think uh, Carol really shared with us why that is. Uh, if you're somebody who can develop housing and you have money to invest and you have, um, you know, uh, financial institutions ready to lend to you, You're certainly not going to invest in something with a $4 million gap. You're going to go to Boise or (laughs) Oklahoma City or any other place around the country where the costs are going to be much less and you're actually going to get a return for that investment. So that is a pretty dramatic, uh, I think, set of information. I think, Carol, too, when you show photos of the developments that Cookinland Housing is doing and show how much investment you're making and, again, kind of pulling together... Um, so many different financial instruments to make that happen. I think that really is is uh, also pretty stark that the event, the development that we are seeing around town, many of which is really high quality and beautiful, is affordable housing, but it's done at this um, incredible you know cost and also not um, obviously not turning a profit for anybody. So um as Mark said, that's only we're only catching up with that. we're not we're not even, we're not even beginning to solve the problem, right? Um, and then I think Moira's uh, presentation really shares with us, again, it's it's aspirational. It's like what people, it's, it's what do we want to see for the future of our community? And, you know, I have a company with young employees that I definitely hope to retain because otherwise I won't have a company anymore. Um, and they are in that category where they moved here. Some of them moved here to work here because they love Alaska, but they often really want to have the urban amenities um, in their daily life and then be able to you know drive 20 minutes and be at Glen Alps which is what we all think is awesome about living um, in Anchorage and living in Alaska. Um, And then I think Jasmine just really points us again to where does the rubber hit the road on this you know it's it's all very well if you know Maybe I'm spending a little bit more on my mortgage than I want to every month, Um, but that's a whole different story if I'm actually getting evicted or um, simply can't find a place that I can afford or have a disability and can't find a unit that I can move around in. So, um, and then of course, all within the the context of uh, the governor's budget that's been put forward, and I'm really glad you shared exactly where those uh, cuts are going to fall for uh, the the programs that uh, prevent and address homelessness, but I think also if you look in the budget, you'll see many, many cuts to programs that support seniors um, in all sorts of places around our state, not to mention everything else.
2: You're listening to Addressing Alaskans on Alaska Public Media. Today's show is part one of The Housing Continuum, Building a Vibrant Community, presented by Alaska Common Ground. We'll continue with questions from the audience.
0: Do you see the the cost of land and property tax rates as a major hurdle? I think we just, um, that's one question. And if we had a tax abatement ordinance in place, I think they're asking for the municipality could this actually be an increase in revenue over the long term? Because it would then, you know, incentivize more development. So, curious, Mark, do you have a thought on that? Um, sure, I'll, I'll
5: add a couple of comments. So, um, yes, I, I think that uh, property tax abatement is a good thing. It's a tool that's used all over the United States to encourage development, um, and. In terms of whether it actually increases revenue, I think that um, people will f- people have found all over the United States that you know if you give up something that you don't have, then you and in order to get something, then you've actually increased the value uh, in your economy. And so, you know, for uh, for people, I think that one of the things that is central to this whole debate about property taxes that abatement is, is that if all you have is raw land right now And you have nothing on top of it that if you're just giving up the um, Property tax for the improvement then the economic development opportunities that come with it the, the wages the purchases and all that other kind of stuff is a substantial benefit to a community
6: if I could just add something to that so I would also say this in the absence of those incentives nothing changes so 10 years is really a very short time in a city's life I think the the current ordinance is a 12-year abatement um, but that's a very short time in a city's life and at the end of that 12 years then you're getting the full property tax from that and presumably if you're in a healthy economy the value of that investment have improved and, and increased so you are increasing your property tax in a very short period of time by incentivizing those investments that might go elsewhere like Oklahoma City, Nashville, Reno, Las Vegas where there is some serious construction happening.
1: I, I want to add to that as well um, excellent points and we need to think about the tangential development that happens as well. So. Uh, If we find a way to incentivize more housing development downtown, and of course there is no silver bullet, so we try to make it a little bit easier incrementally and and find other ways to do that, but um, having more housing downtown means having a a resident year-round population downtown, uh, which has dramatic impacts on our local economy. It has dramatic impacts on safety of downtown when you have uh, an actual resident population, eyes on the street, feet on the sidewalks 24 hours a day. Uh, It makes a difference in the kind of retail and commercial development you can have downtown. Many people have asked me, why don't we have a convenience store downtown or a grocery store? And the reason is we've asked uh, retailers to come and move downtown, and they tell us we can't unless you have a thousand more housing units in the downtown core. We couldn't make it pencil. We wouldn't be able to make a profit year-round if we didn't have that. So the additional economic benefits, it's not just the value of that one property. Uh, If we have more properties in the downtown core, you attract additional business investment into your downtown. You make it a more lively and vibrant place for visitors who are likely to stay longer and spend more money and you make it a, a real destination for capital uh, as well as for talented people, which just really creates a virtuous cycle. Um, so I, I would echo what um, both Mark and Carol have said, that yes, you're going to see value uh, in the property tax base that you would not have had otherwise because if it's a parking lot now and you do nothing, 10 years from now, it's still gonna be a parking lot uh, and otherwise you could have a, a really nice building there that you're starting to generate property taxes on but you're also going to see other developments happen as a result of it.
0: Here's here's another one in the same vein of how do we incentivize different kinds of development. Um, And this is probably uh, echoing one of the slides that Moira shared. So could affordability be increased by integrating residential and commercial development in more parts of the community? So if we had more mixed use development. Moira?
1: A very tricky question. It's not always economical in Anchorage. I try really hard to avoid falling into the trap of, oh, that wouldn't work up here. We're so special, we're so different. Uh, it's it's usually not the case. There are usually ways in which we're similar to other communities. It's really difficult to make mixed use work in Anchorage. Um, and Carol might be able to, to speak to that as well. Some of the Cook Inlet developments have had retail opportunities on the ground level and it's been difficult to find retail tenants. So there's a whole package of things. So to answer the question fully, if we wanted to uh, incentivize that, Uh, Walkability is a really important function for any retail establishment looking for space. Uh, I think it would be unusual for uh, a retailer to want to be on the ground level of an apartment building where nobody walks by ever. Uh, you can imagine, you know, any apartment building along Northern Lights, uh, there's nobody walking by. Why Why would you uh, put your business there and, and you're not going to get any traffic? So um, if we were thinking about the whole package of how to incentivize uh, that more kind of compact housing, that housing that's near amenities, we would also need to think about the infrastructure piece, which is um, ha- having... More walkable streets or more accessible housing through public transportation, through uh, bike lanes, through whatever it may be. Uh, Retail is not going to happen on its own without us giving some consideration to how is that retailer supposed to make money it would be great to be able to have more mixed-use residential. We saw in the survey that people would like to see more of that. Um, There are a few examples that have worked in non-conventional ways like the Rustic Goat where they're separate. um, That On the same lot, there's a restaurant and then there are four townhouse units behind it. Uh, And that might be something that we can explore that would work better in this community. But that sort of traditional ground-level retail, uh, condos or or apartments above, at the moment,
0: is difficult. Carol, do you wanna speak to your experience with that?
6: Just a little bit. It, it's what everybody wants, but I think they also make assumptions about what's going to be in that mixed use. You're going to be able to go downstairs and get a cup of coffee and buy your paper and visit with your neighbors. Um, that's not always the case. Um, the financing is very complicated. A bank will underwrite the commercial parts separately from the housing, and trust me, they don't subsidize one another. We're very lucky that Alaska Housing saw that as a as a challenge in the market. Our first couple of mixed-use developments were very complicated. We had to turn the building into a condo. This is getting into the weeds a bit, but when you have to condo the building and have separate ownership, separate financing, now each one of those pieces adds dollars to the cost to build. They're very complicated. Parking is complicated. Who's going to sit in that unit? If you're going to have a medical use in that building and combine it with senior housing, isn't that a lovely idea? But you're going to have to really up your parking in order to do that. So I would just say it's not as easy as it looks, and Anchorage doesn't really have the... mm, the uh, codes that help incentivize that today, it's incredibly expensive. We sit with vacant space because we really believe that you need economic investment in neighborhoods as well as housing. You can't have one without the other and have a healthy neighborhood, but yet we have to be incredibly patient for, for businesses to actually occupy that space and pay enough rent to pay the debt. Uh, Candidly, we financed it ourselves initially because we couldn't really see uh, the rent covering the debt payment conventionally. So you have to have pretty deep pockets of really patient, um, a lot of patience, (laughs) to do a mixed-use development in this town today.
5: Um, Just real quickly, um, I wanted to thank Carol for mentioning that... um, Alaska Housing realized that this was an issue a while back and so we do now try to, or we can finance both commercial and and residential together to try to alleviate some of the financial burdens that Carol was talking about. And also, I just wanted to echo the comment about the the location of it. I think the most successful mixed-use development that we have is right downtown on the corner of 5th and D at the Lusac Zone building across from the Fifth Avenue uh, Center. There's 52 units of housing right above all those commercial, proper, commercial businesses that have been there for quite some time. Um, and I think in that type of a, uh, a location, uh, and maybe Elizabeth Place where it's located, that makes sense, um, where they can, people can experience that downtown living and, and uh, amenities that they look for.
0: Okay, here's two questions I'm just going to combine into one um what is the current adu ordinance status and then has the unit lot zoning change been used and is anyone building tiny houses on on one lot
6: and i think moira you might want to jump in but um the accessory dwelling unit or adu ordinance passed um so that is available for communities to use in residential zoning As for unit lot subdivisions, um, when we first started talking about that, that was maybe four years ago, Tim. And uh, at the time we had a a builder that had a lot that was ready to try it on and here we are four years later and right now we haven't found a way to make it pencil. So it penciled four years ago and today we have not been able to make that work. But we're still working on it. I think that's one of the things that Live, Work, Play group is looking at. We've got a number of uh, really smart people that are trying to help a young, very eager, ready developer to put that on the ground so we can see what it looks like. But right now, we don't have a good example. I appreciate the question, though.
1: There is, uh, I'm aware of one uh, project that's using the Unit Lot Subdivision Ordinance. Uh, It's going in at 8th and O down in Bootlegger's Cove. Um, and I, I don't know the specifics of the financing of that, um, but it looks like it's um, it, it looks like pretty luxury condominiums. So um, I, I imagine they'll be asking quite a lot for those. Um, and as for ADUs that that did pass last year, and one of the interesting things that happened as a result of it is a lot of existing ADUs uh, suddenly became legitimate because they were existing a little bit outside of the law uh, before that that ordinance passed. So, we have seen, if you were to look at the numbers, you would see an increase in the number of ADUs on the books in Anchorage, and that's because they became legal uh, where people otherwise had a kind of Um, uh, outlaw mother-in-law apartments uh, going on, but uh, we are seeing a lot of interest in in conversions and uh, most of those conversions do not involve um, uh, shipping containers uh, to the relief
0: of some of the opponents of the ADU ordinance. (laughs) Okay, I promise this is the last zoning-related question, Um, but I think it's another really good one. Okay, so a significant factor in development costs is the land set aside to meet minimum off-street parking requirements. One way to reduce these costs is to eliminate these requirements in our primary transit corridor. Um, This would potentially increase supply by lowering rents and also allow for location-efficient mortgages. Would this help increase our supply?
1: Money, 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 money. Um, there are some really interesting ways that we could reduce parking requirements if we uh, tripled or quadrupled the amount of money we were spending on public transportation through our arterial arterial areas, so that people really had uh, access to. Uh, reliable, uh, constant flow of public transportation. Um, We could also do a lot more to try to invite car share programs up here. I think um, other, I know that other cities have uh, reduced the off-street parking requirements for developments if they are within a couple of blocks of a zip car parking lot. So you don't need to have a car or you might not need to be a two-car household if on the one day a week that you use your car for a Costco trip, you could just walk down the block and get a zip car and, and take care of it that way. Or if on the weekends you want a car because you want to be able to drive down to the Kenai and Dipnet, or drive up to your cabin in Willow Um, you have access to a a car then but you don't need a car the rest of the time Um, but but there are so many big questions about transportation looming like what happens when all cars become autonomous Um, we will need no parking requirements because cars will just be driving themselves around all the time and you'll just hail one like an uber with no driver Um, we're, we're a ways away from that, uh, but, but there is gonna come a day when parking in general is just obsolete. There, there will be no reason for it. Um, and maybe then we can get rid of all the surface parking lots downtown, which would be a triumphant moment for me. Uh, it's really hard in Anchorage because of a culture that we have that is very car dependent. Uh, to to think about in the very near term being able to get rid of those parking requirements and believe me I would love to see it um, but I think any any developer in the room uh, you know including you know Carol and, and mark anyone who's looking at this from the perspective of, of what people are willing to buy they just aren't yet at a point where they would buy a unit that didn't have at least one parking spot coming with it. And if anybody disagrees with me, I, I, I would welcome that and love to hear it.
6: i just say that the downtown core does not require parking, but as Moira says, um, it's a culture here. We all drive, there. the public transportation isn't great. So in our Elizabeth Place we have 50 units and we're really queasy about the fact that we only have 27 parking spots. The city wanted us to Eliminate all the parking because it's not required and I just don't think our market is ready So I wanted to put that on the table.
0: I think a third of Midtown is uh, is parking So it's it is kind of amazing when we think about Having land available how much is being used in surface parking and I'm gonna hand it back to Dick to wrap us up on behalf of Alaska
2: Common Ground I want to thank Moira Jasmine Janelle Carol and Mark for um, participating today And a big thank you, and let's hear a round of applause for our speakers, panelists, and moderator Thea. Thanks for joining us today for Addressing Alaskans. You just heard part one of The Housing Continuum, Building a Vibrant Community, presented by Alaska Common Ground. Next week we'll feature part two of the series that focuses on the challenges facing priority housing needs in Anchorage. The final event of this series will be on April 1st at the Anchorage Museum from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. This program was recorded on March 4th at the Anchorage Museum and was moderated by Thea Agnew Bemben. Presenter slides and a full version of the event can be found on akcommonground.org. For more shows like this, head to the Addressing Alaskans page at alaskapublic.org. For Alaska Public Media, I'm Ammon Swenson. Addressing Alaskans is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is
1: solely responsible for its content. Theme music is by Patrick Lee. The views expressed are those of the hosts and participants and do not reflect KSKA or its underwriters. To let us know about an upcoming community event that you would like to hear on Addressing Alaskans, just go to our website at alaskapublic.org and click on Contact Us at the bottom of the page. Learn more about addressing Alaskans and listen online at alaskapublic.org.